There's something really curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. Nominal, nominal, Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Well, I did say at the beginning of the month that was the first ever TGP Nominal Extra of 2021. Well, this is the first ever proper TGP Nominal of 2021 and uh, obviously I have to have my co-host with me and that's John Berger. How are you doing sir and Happy New Year. All right now, baby, it's all right now. Well, maybe not, but, you know, (laughs) I'd like to think it is. New year, new decade. Yes, this is a new decade, you know, because decades go from 1 to 10, 11 to 20, 21 to 30. So this starts a new decade. Hopefully it leaves the previous one way in the dust. I was looking at that the other day, and I just went, okay, so you were born in the 70s, mm-hmm. 80s, 90s, noughties, 10s, 20s. That's six decades, but I've not reached 50 yet. That's true, yeah. As we record this, I turn a year older tomorrow. <sighs> you know, no choice about growing old, but I will be damned before I grow up. That's a good mantra to have, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care what my physical age is. I'll be 25 forever. And I like it that way. You know, 25 is that age where you're old enough that people still take you as an adult, but yet you're still young enough that you can do stupid stuff and get away with it because you don't have life experiences yet. Yeah, to a degree. Yeah. 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 So that's why I I figure I'll just be mentally 25 forever. I think for me, it'd be around about 23 because when I was 23, I was, yeah, there were some good things going on in my life. Uh, well, I got married when I was 23, and she's still married to me. She's crazy. She's certifiable. (laughs) She's gotta be. There's no other explanation for that. Any woman who could survive me for this long has got to be crazy. (laughs) In this country, we say you get shorter for murder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's not discuss murder, please. (laughs) What we're going to do on today's show, we're going to basically talk uh, a bit about sci-fi and stuff like that because as you mentioned in the last podcast we haven't done a lot of that lately no we haven't so i thought ah, well there's been a lot of things talked about recently and i thought well let's talk about those sure so we're going to take a short break and when we come back let's just chew the fat about that kind of stuff Chew the fat? I haven't heard that phrase in a while. Yeah. I don't know, actually know where that originates from, because that sounds like the kind of thing that William Shakespeare probably would have said. Ah. Because he did come up with quite a few things that are now commonplace in English language. Uh, no, it first appeared in print in 1875. Oh, granted, it's first in print. Well, Wikipedia, anyway, doesn't say anything about how it... Where, 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 it. it just says that... It, it was first listed in an 1875 book. I tell you who would know the answer to that. <laughs> Stephen Fry. Uh, yeah, yeah, he would. Because he loves that kind of stuff. Yep. <laughs> I'd love to talk with him. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs>
desire a place to get away? How about free? You truly belong here among the clouds on Bespin, the first stop on your Star Tours getaway package. Stay and play in the clouds and enjoy the spectacular Galaxy in the Skies fireworks pageant every single night. The fun continues on the forest moon of Endor, where you'll sleep under the stars with the lovable Ewoks in their charming tribal villages. Your third stop brings you to the peaceful world of Alderaan, where you can relax in a natural wonderland, recently voted safest planet in the galaxy by Hyperspace Traveler. This Star Tours getaway package is three times the fun in one, so ask your travel consultant to book yours today. I've thought about it a lot. Why does Britain create so many great filmmakers and actors? What is it about Britain that seems to generate these people? It's pretty phenomenal, the influence we've had on, on like global culture. We really punch above our weight. When we were making Rogue One, I sort of half-jokingly but half-meaning it said to the producers, well, wait, let's just shoot in Canary Wharf. There's all the guys in the suits, you know, coming home from work, and we're not allowed to tell anyone, it's really secretive, and we're thinking, okay, we're gonna film Star Wars, and then we had hidden Stormtrooper outfits and stuff, and we go in, and within an hour, turned it into the Empire. I went up to one of the art directors and was like, how did you, this was so good, like, how did you do this so quick? And he said, oh, we came in last night and we did a practice run. Like the extra mile that the crew would always go to. It's kind of like a military operation. The great thing about British crews is they've been doing this, you know, for generations and, and they've all inherited off the previous one all these little tricks of the trade. We had an assistant director on the film whose dad worked on the original New Hope and his job on that was to direct the X-Wing pilots for the, for the battle sequence. And his son on our film had exactly the same job. It was really weird. That felt really appropriate. The great thing is on set is no one says no. And you'd say to them, like, you can say no, you know, you, is, is this a problem? And they'd say, no, we don't, we don't do that. Like, they, they sort of pride themselves on giving you everything you want. There's something magical about Great Britain there's so many great examples of British filmmakers, people like Hitchcock and David Lean. And it's funny because even people like from outside of the UK, like Kubrick, he ended up making Britain his home because, you know, the crews were so good. I'm Gareth Edwards, director of Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and I'm very proud to say it was made great in Britain. This is TGP Nominal. Welcome back to TGP Nominal. Now, we'd like to say at this point, get well soon to Ross Hockham from mm -hmm. UK Astronomy and his wife Frankie. Both of them have got COVID. It seems as though Ross is getting better. Frankie's still in bed at the moment with it, but uh, 
it will just hope things go well for them and then uh, they get better soon. Yeah, absolutely. There probably will be some spoilers in the show, especially to do with The Mandalorian, but, I mean, that's, like, before Christmas now, so um, I don't think there's probably anybody who hasn't seen (laughs) Season 2 yet. Well, even then, there comes a point of, well, how long are we supposed to not talk about it so that people don't get spoilers? Mm -hmm. Come on. If you're going to put it that way, I see people on YouTube reacting to the original Star Wars who haven't seen it yet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you can only go so far. If we go on with The Mandalorian, it debuted on Disney Plus in November of 2019, or if you're in Europe, April 2020. <laughs> That's and, crazy. That shouldn't have happened. Yeah. There's no excuse for that. I don't care about geofencing and all that other crap, but it's like, if it's all streaming, just show it. Make well, it day and date. Well, you see, the thing is, Disney Plus didn't launch here until April. Uh, they could have found some other way. But the response from fans has been overwhelming, and it even won seven Emmy Awards. Mm-hmm. He had season two, which premiered on October the 30th, with John Favreau and Dave Filoni continuing the journey of The Mandalorian and whatever you want to call him, really. Uh, Baby Yoda, uh, <laughs> the child, or his proper name, Grogu. So there's been a lot of speculation about things that was happening in season two as all these things always do spark speculation on things i take it you've seen season two i have what did you make of it as far as i'm concerned this is what star wars really should be (laughs) don't get me wrong i love firefly i think mandalorian is what firefly would have been if firefly had a second season Mm -hmm. it's just a great space western and there's been a lot of spins on things this time around. Yes, you had the Space Western, you had the the, the samurai-type stuff in there. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of cameos from people. Yep. Some of the characters, I, I didn't actually know. Um, I've forgotten his name now. The guy that was in uh, Boba Fett's armor. Yeah. He was a character that made the first appearance in the Star Wars Aftermath mm-hmm. books. Uh, which I haven't actually read. <laughs> so he was new on me, but obviously to a lot of people he was familiar. But it was great character nonetheless. Actually, Boba Fett making a comeback. That was nuts. See, that's the thing. Filoni and, and Favreau, they get it. They understand it. I don't think Kathleen Kennedy ever did. You know, she, she got her spot because she's been... Uh, you know, George Lucas's right-hand woman for decades. She's been an executive producer in other shows in her own right, but I don't think she gets it. Filioni and Favreau, they get it. They understand it. You know, and did you notice that a lot of the things that they're doing is they were taking characters that have kind of been, okay, these are now extended universe, so they're no longer canon, but they're bringing them back in to make them canon pretty much just as they were in the extended universe. 
Notice that? They're, they're just working them back in? Even with the story of Boba Fett, we've always known, obviously, he got eaten by the Sarlacc. Right. You know, there were stories of Dengar rescuing him and things like that, but through watching The Mandalorian, I mean, Din Djarin, he went inside the crate dragon yeah. and managed to come out again. So if he can survive that, then there's every reason why Boba Fett survived the Sarlacc. Yeah, and there was a lot of speculation on that anyway. It's like, you know, if it's going to take thousands of years to digest, he's going to live for at least a while. And all he has to do is make sure that he, he gets his pack straightened up and goes and shoots out. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, been, that's been theorized for a long time. So that wasn't surprising. But still, it was, it was cool to see him back and to see him totally kick ass oh yeah and to see those knee rockets working as well oh man because you've heard about these knee rockets you've Mm -hmm. never seen them working before and that's what i mean you know filoni and favreau they understand they know how to throw these little bits of fan service in without making the fan service in your face like a certain director of two certain sequel movies (laughs) where it's like here Fan service, right in your face. These guys are like, no, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll throw touches here and there to make the fans say, oh, cool, but without making it be front and center. You know, they make the characters and the story front and center, which is awesome. I'll say this now. Kathleen Kennedy needs to go. Those two need to have a joint presidency of, of Lucasfilm. I've been saying that Filoni should have been involved higher up for a mm-hmm. long, long time yep. because... Everything he he does is great, whether it's animated stuff or live action. I mean, if they had to put him at the helm of a movie, oh. Yeah. And they've brought in some really great directors Mm -hmm. for these episodes. The one where they had to transfer that explosive stuff and take it to a Imperial base. Yeah. That was an excellent episode. We always saw... Imperials as just these, you know, guys in armor. That's all you saw. They're human too, you know? Mm-hmm. You got the feeling of what things meant to them, apart from that commanding officer guy who got his comeuppance at the end, which was fantastic. And it actually showed you how much Grogu actually meant to Din Djarin because he took his helmet off. Yeah, he did. And he's, he's pretty much old school with that because, as you know, through other episodes, there's, there's other clans of Mandalorians that are willing mm-hmm. to take their helmets off anyway. The funny thing I found was through watching some of these videos that broke down what was going on in, in the episodes. The episode which introduced Boba Fett where he showed Din Djarin that holographic thing with all about his family's heritage yeah. and all that, people were analysing that and they actually translated it into English. I'm not surprised. <laughs> It doesn't surprise me at all, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if it actually made total sense. It did make total sense. There was words on there like Django, there was the clan that Django was in beforehand, and it was a complete family tree. Yeah, because they know the fans are going to analyze that, and they want that level of detail in there. And that's what it makes it so special. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the speculation towards the finale of the show, they had to make contact with a Jedi. Mm -hmm. They'd already made contact with a Jedi, with uh, Ahsoka Tano, who was absolutely spectacular i mean that was a brilliant representation of her and the thing is do you remember it went around a a while ago that photo of george lucas holding the grogu doll remember that one yeah 
She was in that photo, but just off. They cropped it out. That was a day when they were testing the makeup on her. Wow. So she was actually in the original photo. That's how far back they've been planning her character. Mm-hmm. And in that episode where she, she made her appearance, we kind of brushed on this on the Christmas one when we were saying about um, that Grand Admiral Thrawn got a mention in that oh, episode. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's going to make an appearance in The Mandalorian, but uh, we will come on to something a little bit later on, and I'll talk about that in a bit. But the final episode of the season, there was the speculation of which Jedi were... Mm-hmm be there some people said it might be Ezra Bridger from the Star Wars Rebels show some people said it might be Cal Kestis from the Fallen Jedi Order video game yeah 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 yeah. but as soon as you saw that cloak and the green light saber blade you knew who that was gonna be and I know that when Rogue One was out you wasn't a big fan of the uh, the CGI version yeah it wasn't bad on this the lips were a little Uh... bit out it was still off. Uh, if they'd have done it deep fake, I think it probably would have been better. Uh, yeah, maybe. From what I could tell, the eyes were off. Mm-hmm. There was a spacing issue with the eyes, and that was kind of like, uh, something's wrong here. Grand Moff Tarkin, it just didn't work for me, for whatever reason. Luke's was just kind of, eh, hmm, hmm. So, but then it also brings in, in the whole question of if you take the sequels as canon, then at some point, Rogu is going to be there, and so is Ben Solo before his conversion. So what's going to happen to Grogu? Is he going to leave before then? Yeah. Or is he going to get sliced down? You know, are they going to ever cover that? Who knows? But Grogu was doing some pretty, what I would call dark side stuff when he was dealing with some of those stormtroopers when he was yeah. held captive. so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people were like, well, this is going to tell us more about Yoda's race. They really didn't. Oh, they didn't. Well, are they going to cover that? Or are they going to simply leave this as a mystery for the future? I don't know. Over the last few years, Industrial Light and Magic have been developing a new technology called Stagecraft. Now, Stagecraft is a new virtual production tool that utilizes the latest innovations and real-time graphics with massive LED screens that allow filmmakers to bring entire locations into a soundstage and film them live. It's basically huge 360 degrees screens, which spans over the top of you as well, so that you can build a physical set and erect these screens around the sets which makes you feel like you're on location without the need to incorporate CGI that much and it also eliminates unnecessary travel and the actors are immersed in those environments rather than having to imagine what they're seeing or reacting to. Well, I mean, it does more than that too. It also provides accurate lighting. Mm -hmm. If they're facing what would be a sun on the screen while they've got that light blaring at their face, you can see the sun reflecting in the visors and stuff like that. it's, It's an amazing technology. I, I would love to see it. The efficiency of it is that it's allowed Lucasfilm to continue work on the Mandalorian Series 2 even during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just amazing. Industrial Light and Magic are building three more of these facilities, one in Los Angeles, one in London, and one in Australia. So they're making space for the future with with this stuff. I covered this in my podcast a few years ago. There was an indie studio that was doing this. Same principle, but it was using backlighting. All right. So they were actually projecting the image from a, a game engine on the screen behind the person, and then wherever the camera was... 
to film that scene, that's how they positioned the camera inside the game engine. So then even as the camera moved, the projection on the back of the screen would move in conjunction with it. Yeah, so I guess th- these guys just took it to the next level and went to, to use LED screens instead. I believe they started using this technology in Rogue One, but Lucasfilm have used it to its full potential during the filming of The Mandalorian. I think this is the first time they've used it properly. Well, what do you mean? If if they used it in Rogue One, that worked, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, all you need to do is take some kind of 360-degree camera out in the field, wherever you need to be, film for a while, bring that footage back, and then put it into the set that you want to use it on, and you're there. Yeah. It's really cool. There will be a few bits of CGI that need to be done to fill in blanks and things but not as much. Well I mean let's be honest here they don't even need to go and get a photo they can simply use Google Maps and say oh that's what the layout is okay we'll just render it in 3D space boom done. They don't even need to go out and, and get a 360 shot of it they can just build it. And besides when you're talking Star Wars what do they care if it's actually going to look like a real world filming location just make it we're not going to know the difference. That's true. Now, we originally thought that The Mandalorian Series 3 would be premiered in time for Christmas 2021, but if you watch the finale of The Mandalorian Series 2, right to the end of the credits, Mm -hmm. it's now clear that there will be a Boba Fett spin-off instead. I wonder how many people didn't actually... (laughs) I know a lot of people who didn't, then all of a sudden it's like, wait, 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 what? There was stuff after that? What? You should know by now with the way movies have been doing things, just wait till the very end. I generally do anyway. Whether the Boba Fett series premieres at Christmas, it remains unclear. Either way, we're in for a festive treat. Yeah, I think so. This means that Series 3 or Season 3 of The Mandalorian will arrive early 2022 at the earliest. Here's a little bit of clarification on that from John Favreau. At the end of the show, uh, Boba Fett came out and it said the Book of Boba Fett coming Christmas, uh, excuse me, coming December of 2021. We wanted to hold this back because we don't want to spoil the surprise during the, the big Disney announcement of all the shows when Kathleen Kennedy was up there. And so they let me keep this one a secret. So this is actually separate from The Mandalorian season three. But what we didn't say in that announcement is that the next show coming up, Kathy said the next chapter, and that's gonna be the Book of Boba Fett. And then we go into production right after that on season three of The Mandalorian, you know, back with the main character that we all uh, have known and loved. So that's gonna be pretty soon following that. So we're working on that pre-production now while we're in production on Boba Fett. Ironically, if you cast your mind back to the 2020 Christmas crossover, we spoke a little bit about The Mandalorian there, and I said, why would you need a Boba Fett series (laughs) when you've got a show called The Mandalorian? Um, Well, we'll find out at Christmas why you need a Boba Fett series. Pretty cool how that was done, though. I mean, seeing Bib Fortuna become this used to the good things in life, obviously. Mm-hmm. Now that Jabba's dead. <laughs> I am curious, though, why? And I'm sure they're going to cover that. It's like, why do it there? I mean, of all, there must be a reason beyond simple you know, fan service. Well, he wanted to get his own back on Jabba anyway because he pretty much left yeah. him for dead. But uh... Yeah, I know. But but still, it's like, hmm, Jabba's dead, so it's not like he'll, he can do anything to him. It's like, that's in- there must be something more to that place than we know. Hmm. 
Yeah, it didn't seem a great deal going on there. It's pretty empty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, hmm, guess we'll find out. John Favreau actually mentioned there that Din Djarin's character will be still in it, and that has also been confirmed by Pedro Pascal's stunt double, who is called Brendan Wayne, who is actually the grandson of John Wayne. Oh, He confirmed on an Instagram post when he said, Yes, Pedro is coming back. There was never any question. And in capitals, do not believe everything you read. Mm -hmm. Oh, God, no. (laughs) There's going to be so much rumor and speculation going on out there. And lots of websites trying to capitalize on clickbait thereof. So be careful of that. Yeah, there is a lot of that. Yeah. And they're not very happy if you try and disable it with ad blockers. Oh, there are certain sites out there I will not visit without ad blockers because it's 99% clickbait. Mm-hmm. And I, and I won't say anything because we don't need any kind of defamation stuff thrown at us. <laughs> but let, let's just say that some of them are very comic book related. Mm-hmm. And it's like they'll take one sentence that somebody said in a chat and here's this massive article with nothing but speculation and adverts in it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, get, just... No. Stop. In early December, Disney had their Investor Day livestream, and Kathleen Kennedy announced that John Favreau and Dave Filoni are developing two more Mandalorian spin-off series exclusive for Disney+, Plus, of course. One being The Rangers of the New Republic, which I'm guessing will be based around Cara Dune. She took on a role with the New Republic, didn't she? She was kind of like a... Marshall. Yeah. I'm assuming that this show is going to be based around the Marshals and what they do for the New Republic. Yeah. And then the other is obviously the Ahsoka Tano show, which Rosario Dawson in Mandalorian Series 2 did, as we mentioned, such an excellent job. And this is where I think Thrawn and possibly Ezra Bridger might make appearances. Mm-hmm. Both of these shows will cross over with The Mandalorian and The Book of Fett. Will Boba Fett be having some run-ins with the New Republic and Marshals? Because obviously he's going to be a bad boy still. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, he was a mercenary. Yeah, but now he's probably going to be the, the Don, <laughs> as it were. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Another thing that Lucasfilm are releasing is Andor, which is coming out in 2022. It's a spy thriller set in the Star Wars universe, created by Tony Gilroy, who had an incredible success with The Bourne Identity. Diego Luna will be reprising his role as Cassian Andor from Rogue One, and he will be the executive producer on the project as well. Mm. He'll be joined by a fantastic new cast that includes Stellan Skazgard, Ardria Arjona, Fiona Shaw, Denise Goths, Kyle Sola, and Genevieve O'Reilly, and she's coming back as Mon Mothma, mm-hmm. and production on that has already started in London. Nice. I did. I did for the rebellion. Rogue One, in many ways, it's a film that connected new audiences with the, the oldest fans. It was a bittersweet feeling, you know, in the premiere, knowing that it was just one film. 
But then magic happens, right? As you can see, we're getting ready. We're building stages, we're rehearsing, we're training, we're trying costumes, we're doing everything to make sure we do the best show. I'm really excited having the chance to explore Cassian. It's really fun to go on a set that is emulating something you like so much. The enormity of this is like doing a big feature film. It's very cinematic. For me, that's where the excitement is. 12 episodes, 12 scripts, over 200 named cast members, over 6,000 crowd people, a lot of creatures that come in from the creature department. We treat this exactly like we would have, would have filmed. There is no difference in our approach. Every creature and droid that we've been building has the same care, level of attention to detail. It's the previous films. It's huge, it's thrilling, but also it's wonderfully challenging. There's tons of possibilities to explore. It is the building of a revolution. Over 200 named cast members. Yeah, it's a big show. (laughs) (laughs) With all of these spin-offs and so forth that are going on, I'm wondering, there's a little bit of concern. Are they going to be throwing too much? You know, is there going to be burnout as a result? If it's done right, no. (laughs) You don't think so? Even if it's done right, you know, it's still going to be a point of, hey, another Star Wars show, oh, another Star Wars show, another Star Wars show. And then if they start interlinking them between, it's like, oh, well, did you see this show? Well, it didn't make sense because you didn't catch that episode of that show. And it's like what kind of happened with the Marvel universe. Yeah, I was thinking that, actually, because, you know, if you didn't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and if you didn't watch this and then uh, if you haven't, seen certain movies in the right order then mm-hmm. it's not going to make yep. any sense whatsoever uh, my dad was watching one of the Avengers movies and he said I didn't understand what was going on and I said which one was it and he told me I said that's the fourth movie in this se- you need to watch yeah. these ones first <laughs> Yeah, I had to find one of those lists to give it to my wife to catch up on. And then she ended up seeing one out of order. She's like, who is that character? That didn't make sense. And I looked at the list. I said, uh, you're you're not supposed to watch this one until a few more down. It's like, oh, okay, whoops. I'm just worried that that might be going on here if they spread out to too many offshoots. You know, if they keep them all in their own little contiguous timelines and storylines, okay, fine, fine. But uh, just a little bit worried that there's going to be some, I don't want to say cross-contamination, that's the wrong phrase, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is that. In August 2020, at the D23 Expo in Anaheim, the return of Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi was announced for a special event series on, on Disney+. Plus. Obi-Wan Kenobi begins 10 years after the Revenge of the Sith, and Hayden Christensen will be returning in the role as Darth Vader. There's a thing that swallows you. It holds you together while it's tearing you apart. It's terrifying. I love you! The desert is ruthless. It strips you of your vanities, your illusions, and gives you the opportunity to see yourself for who you are. Remember, my dear Obi-Wan, 
is directed by Deborah Chow who directed episode 3 in series 1 of The Mandalorian and production is set to begin in March the interesting thing about that clip is Liam Neeson's character's back wow if you remember at the end of episode 3 Yoda said in your solitude on Tatooine training I have for you training an old friend has learned the path to immortality. One who has returned from the netherworld of the Force, your old master. Qui-Gon? How to commune with him, I will teach you. So it's a Force ghost or Qui-Gon helping him with his training whilst he's uh, in exile. Yeah, I found it interesting to hear that woman saying about, you know, I love you and I always will. In the Clone Wars cartoon series, he did have some female interest, shall yeah. we say. Which is interesting considering that, you know, with Anakin and Padme, it's like, no, no, Jedi can't do that, blah, 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 blah. It's like, hmm, really? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's 20 years of missing Obi-Wan history there. Mm-hmm. So I guess it could be interesting. I still kind of wish that they'd get away from the old characters and start fresh. Give us some new characters. That's supposedly what the new movies are supposed to be doing. Uh, we'll have to see what happens on that one. You know, not, nothing against them doing this, but it's like, eh, do we really need to know more about Obi-Wan while he was on Tatooine? During the seventh and final season of The Clone Wars, which we had to wait six years for, but it was, <laughs> it was well worth the wait, a rogue group of specialist commandos called Clone Force 99 were introduced. These commandos were nicknamed the Bad Batch because they did not conform with the rest of the clones. They kind of don't want to say broke their programming. I suppose you could say programming because they were all programmed to react in a certain way. But these guys actually broke away from their programming, so they actually had unique skills which the rest of the clones didn't have. So this animated series is based around their missions and will feature cameos from characters from other Star Wars shows and movies. There was a, a clip with that, but the majority of it was just sound effects and music, so it wasn't really right. worth <laughs> including it. Now, the next one interests me quite a lot, actually. It's called Star Wars Visions, and it's a series of ten animated short films celebrating the Star Wars galaxies through the lens of several of the leading Japanese anime studios, offering a fresh and diverse cultural perspective to Star Wars. Now, I do recall there being an anime epic novel comic book of the original Star Wars film. I don't know if they did the, the whole of the original trilogy, but Star Wars definitely was made into one. It was a really thick tome of a book, Bible thick. It was, right. <laughs> you know, but it was the, the whole story of Star Wars done in a Japanese way, and it was hmm. fantastic drawing. So to have leading anime directors and creators coming up with their versions of what Star Wars would be like through their eyes, I think would be quite fascinating. You know, obviously it wouldn't be part of the canon we know, but it'd be neat to see it. I love Japanese animation anyway. I've done for a long time, so it'd be interesting to see what they do with this. Mm -hmm. 
Lando Calrissian will be returning with a brand new event series. Justin Simeon, the creator of the hugely popular Dear White People and who is a, a huge Star Wars fan, is developing the story. During the Investor Day on the live stream, there was a video to accompany this, but it wasn't actually made available to the public, unfortunately. I understand that uh, Donald Glover is coming back to reprise the role for the TV show. Nobody else could do that. I'm sorry. He was so good in that role. He did give it that kind of... um that swagger that Lando had. You needed to be smooth to be able to uh, have that uh, younger version of Billy D. Williams. Yeah. Because he was such a cool guy. Oh, he, he nailed it. Even just the vocal, you know, the, the, the tone and the way that he spoke. He was a young Billy D. Williams, period. End of story. Mm-hmm. It was, I was totally blown away by that. Lando is a character that I, I really do believe that you can expand a lot more. I've got the Lando comics, and his character is deeper than you think. He does have shallow moments. Sure. The lot of the comics are hit is his uh, relationship with Lobot, you know, mm-hmm. the uh, the guy with the thing around his head. Yep. He got brain damage, uh, and basically that thing is what keeps him going. Oh, interesting. And um, he blames himself for being in that situation, and he always had him by his side to make sure that he was okay. But there's some comic books about the young Lando as well, which I want to get hold of. I haven't got hold of those yet, so I might have to speak to Ian at uh, Dead Universe Comics and see if he can source them for me. (laughs) Disney have launched a range of books and comics under the Star Wars High Republic banner. The High Republic is set 200 years before the events of the Skywalker Saga and 800 years after the fall of the Old Republic. Linked to this is a new Star Wars live action series from Russian doll creator Leslie Headland called The Acolyte. The Acolyte is a mystery thriller that will take us into the galaxy's shadowy secrets and the emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic era. People are always interested in the stuff that was going on before the Skywalker saga. This is Jedi in their heyday and the creation of the Sith. Mm Mm-hmm. Lucasfilm Animation are teaming up with Industrial Light and Magic to bring you a droid story. Now, this epic journey will introduce a new hero guided by R2-D2 and C-3PO on a special mission only known to them. Now, when I saw this, the first thing that sprang to mind was the 1980s Star Wars droids animated show, if you remember that. Oh, man, I'd forgotten about that. Now, the droids show had a theme tune that was performed by Stuart Copeland. Oh, wow, from the police. Yeah, and I'll just play it so you'll be able to tell that it's kind of police-like.
Well, that was so very 80s. Oh, yeah. Wow. (laughs) If you listen to the keyboard sounds on that, it also reminded me of the theme tune to the TV show, if you remember it, called The Equalizer, Edward Yeah, I don't remember watching it, but yeah, I remember it. Which the theme tune was also done by Stuart Copeland. I have droids the entire series I have them on DVD ah. and I also have uh, if you remember it the Ewoks cartoon series yep I've got all of those on DVD as well <laughs> <laughs> they were a decent price so I thought okay and they're well, they also subject to that annoying 4% speed up mm? you didn't know about that because of frame rate differences between the US and the UK, a lot of times movies and TV shows would be sped up by 4%. I know about that if you were buying video cassettes. I thought that was an NTSC to PAL thing. No, none of the speeds are different. If you play um, a videotape that is set up for the American market, it is slightly speeds up not quite chipmunk-like but um, no 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 but it, it's enough to hear it yeah I thought that was a DVD thing as well or maybe not my droids and my Ewoks both region 1 oh so you got the US version then yeah yeah ah okay I can play them through my PlayStation mm-hmm. PlayStation 2 because I've got a, a thing that unlocks it and it plays it fine so <laughs> oh nice never mind then <laughs> So lastly, in the Star Wars side of things, we have the latest Star Wars feature film, which will be directed by Patty Jenkins, who has been at the helm of the Wonder Woman franchise. I haven't actually seen Wonder Woman 1984 yet. No, not yet. But I've heard a lot of mixed reactions to it. Yeah, this one seems to suffer from uh, like, like second album syndrome that musicians would have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I heard this one gets a little bit ridiculous. But, I mean, it had enough of a response. I've got this for the uh, rest of my show, which I'm going to have to record tonight. So far, Wonder Woman 1984 has brought in $147 million globally at the box office. They've already fast-tracked number three for approval. Hopefully, number three does better than number two. Hopefully, they'll react to what people have been saying. Yeah. And the thing is, though, DC have a tendency to... Uh... <laughs> Just do the same thing again. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I think DC has, has learned their lesson about interfering too much. I think, I hope. You know, because before, all the DC movies, they had to be dark. And you can see that for that segment of movies, like with, with Christopher Nolan's Batman and so forth, all the way into Justice League and so forth. It had to be dark, 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 because that's what DC is all about. But lately, you know, Wonder Woman was totally different mm-hmm. even aquaman aquaman ended up being bright and colorful and fun shazam bright colorful fun oh yeah definitely shazam so i think they finally got i hope anyway they've got to the point of just let the director do their thing although there have been rumors that dc got a little bit too involved with wonder woman 1984 which could be a reason why it hasn't done so well mm-hmm. so maybe they'll hopefully think Okay, we did it again. We'll back off and let you do number three the way you want. We can hope. We can hope. So, Patty Jenkins is directing the new Star Wars movie, which is called Rogue Squadron. 
which will introduce a new generation of Starfighter pilots as they earn their wings and risk their lives in a high-speed rail ride. Rogue Squadron has been long loved by Star Wars fans and it's lent its name to a whole range of books, comics and even video games over the years. I love to move fast and speed of any kind. I think that that's because I grew up the daughter of a great fighter pilot and every day I would wake up and go outside and look up see my father and his squadron taking off and their F-4s roaring across the sky and it was the most thrilling thing still I've experienced in my entire life. So when he lost his life in service to this country, I, it ignited a desire to, in me to turn all of that tragedy and thrill into one day making the greatest fighter pilot movie of all time. But try as I might and look as I did, I couldn't find the right story ever. I kept looking and looking, but I just couldn't find the right one until now. Now I found a movie about two things I love. So I'm gonna see you very soon. Rogue Squadron will be released Christmas 2023. Is that going to be Top Gun in space? So what? (laughs) (laughs) Even if it is, so what? (laughs) I'll take you just as long as they don't have Berlin playing Take My Breath Away in the background. I'll be fine with it. (laughs) That's that's so cheesy, that song. (laughs) I hate that song so much. I've never liked that song. I'm curious as to how they're going to do this. Rogue Squadron was founded by Luke Skywalker, wasn't it? Luke Skywalker was part of Rogue Squadron. I don't know if right. he founded it. That's true. That's true. Rogue Squadron was a thing, and he joined into it as Red 5. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay. But he, he did help to develop their flying styles and different things. I wonder if they're going to take after the comic or if it's going to be its own thing. So if people go out and get the comics now and read them, will they have basically seen the movie yeah but uh, the one thing I, I have thought about with this is because there'll be new insignias and this that and the other with it it's going to be great for cosplay <laughs> and I know so many people now that are into their cosplay and every time a new movie comes out they're analysing it and they said oh what did you make of the movie I, I didn't really see it because I was too busy looking at the costumes <laughs> yeah I've got to go and see it again so that I can take in the movie. People have been talking about a Rogue Squadron movie for quite some time, and if she pulls it off, it'll be a really good movie. I don't think there's going to be a problem with that. So, let's change franchise. Star Trek. Okay. (laughs) I knew you wouldn't have a problem with that. No, not at all. Now, Star Trek Discovery. That's been a roller coaster of emotions watching that. Yeah. I've written down some things that I like and don't like about the series. One thing I will point out is Lieutenant Commander Paul Stamets. He's the guy who's in charge of the Mm -hmm. Spore Drive. Do you know he's actually named after a real mycologist? A mycologist is a biologist specialising in fungi. 
Paul Stamets in the series is what they call an astromycologist who studies spores and fungus from space-related things, and he's actually named after a real mycologist. That's cool. I kind of like that kind of thing, and Star Trek are great at that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Naming things and people after real-life situations, like the USS Gagarin didn't last very long in in Discovery, to be honest. But they're all named after different things. I mean, even Elon Musk gets a mention in it. They put Elon Musk up there with Cochrane. I think that might be a bit of a stretch, but, you know. <laughs> It'd be amazing if, it, if Elon Musk discovers warp drive. Uh, no, I think that Star Trek canon is all written. <laughs> no, I mean in reality. No. <laughs> no. It's such a simple thing, but I love it so much. Black Alert Klaxon. I, I, I'm going to have to get that. I might have to have it as my ringtone. Oh, nice. <laughs> it upset me a little bit finding out that Gabriel Lorca was a bad guy, especially when Jason Isaacs is such a nice guy. And if, yeah. if you want to know what I'm talking about there, check out TGP Nominal 6.1, and I interview Jason Isaacs there. He's so down to earth and so funny. Obviously, he couldn't sort of talk about what was going on in the series too much. But I, I did get to ask him what it was like actually sitting in the captain's chair for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I loved the inclusion of Christopher Pike in season two. And returning back to Talos 4 was yep. a, a nice little throwback. I also liked the bit at the beginning that's where it said previously in Star Trek, and it showed the original series. Mm-hmm. That's quite nice. I like that. <laughs> One thing I was wondering was, you know, the control. Mm-hmm. Was that the start of the book? They seem to want to try to assimilate well, you. We are all part of one big thing. That's the kind of thing they were putting across. And I thought, hmm, that sounds very Borg-like. Yeah, could be. Y- you know that the old school people are going to say that the Borg might have actually gone back to Star Trek the motion picture when a human joined with V'ger. Now that one I think is even more far-fetched but... And it's the fact that when when they try and take you over they go straight for the eye. Yeah. Which is a kind of a Borg thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they were hinting at that. One of the things uh, and I'm probably going to get grilled here by people. Yeah, well no, you go ahead. I want to look something up. That I found... Philippa Giorgio, the storyline, a little bit of a chore to watch. Yeah. I'm not the biggest fan of Michelle Yeoh as an actress. I think I think she's... Really? Um, yeah. I, I, she can be a bit wooden sometimes. Yeah, but I think her character was, at least in the beginning. You know, very rigid, very military, you know, imperial. Now she's suddenly in the prime universe, and she's totally on the defensive. Mm, all the time, yeah. Yeah, so I, mean, I, could, I could see her being that way. Yeah. The planet Navarre, that was a bit of a shock. To the fact that Vulcans and Romulans are living together. That one made total sense. You know, especially since the destruction of Romulus mm-hmm. is still part of the, the prime timeline. Yes, it was it was in the Kelvin universe movies, but it happened in the regular prime universe, and that triggered the Kelvin timeline movie. So the destruction of Romulus, I 
plus, you know, the acknowledgement that I mean, Romulans and Vulcans, they are distantly related. Mm. That was acknowledged back in the original series. Yeah. That does make sense. While you were going through all that, I've been doing some checking. Your assumption that that one episode might have been regarding the Borg or, or possibly the creation thereof, I doubt it. Uh. I doubt it because I've been looking up the timelines on that. It's like, that, that sounds goofy. The original series took place in uh, 2266 to 2269. Discovery takes place 10 years before that. So that would be, you know, roughly, let's just call it 2258, somewhere around there. But Guinan was rescued when the Borg destroyed her world in 2293. So you're talking 35 years. Right, okay. There's no way, no way that the Borg could have gone from what you were talking about to suddenly this major force that's dominating a huge portion of the galaxy, you know, ab- absorbing, not absorbing, uh, assimilating and so forth. In only 35 years, I don't see that happening. Hmm. But it just seems that there's some similarities with it. Yeah, I mean, maybe. But I doubt that that was the Borg. I would think that if the Borg was present, they would have somehow known but then when Q first discovered him, it's like, hey, they now know we're here. Whereas they didn't before, but yet there was a Borg in Discovery. Eh, either that's simply a continuity error for fan service, or that wasn't what you think it was. Right. Okay. That was bugging me. It's like, no, I got to figure this out. <laughs> One of the things I found quite funny was... Um Saru, when he was captain of Discovery, trying to find a suitable catchphrase, you know, trying to find something as profound as Picard's engage, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. And everyone looking at him and say, no, that was rubbish. <laughs> well, <laughs> he's trying to find his way. <laughs> he's returned to his home world at the end of the show. I, I think he'll come back as a Federation ambassador rather than... You think so? Yeah. See, I like his character. I, I would rather have him back. I didn't like him at the start. I, I can understand why he was like he was at the start because of what Michael Burnham had done. But yeah. he grew on me quite a bit. And the bit when I thought he was going to actually die, I, I actually got quite upset. Discovery is different to any of the other Star Treks. It's a bit what we say in the UK, warts and all, meaning what you see is what you get because behind the scenes, as we've mentioned before, people will swear, people will be nasty to each other, whereas, especially in the next generation, everybody is great to everybody else on board ship and this, that Mm -hmm. and the other, and everyone's doing things for the cause. You know, nobody is above the Federation kind of thing. Whereas in this one, everyone's got grievances, but you don't actually see it on the bridge. You, You wouldn't let the captain know that you've got this situation going on although I, I reckon if you went to Christopher Pike I think he'd be quite understanding with things I do like him I do like Christopher yeah. Pike of course we all know what happened well maybe not all of us but many of us know what happens to him eventually yeah yeah it doesn't turn out too great for him does it no no not at all I will say this it seems to be following right along with next generation and deep space nine where the first two seasons are kind of like hit or miss, and then it hits the third season, they got their footing, they found what they want to do, and they're now starting to churn out good stories. Mm. You know, Next Generation first season, yeah, forget it. (laughs) No, no, don't even bother. If Riker doesn't have a beard, don't even bother watching it. (laughs) Second season was, 
some goofy stories there that aren't the best. Third season of Next Generation is when it really took off. Deep Space Nine was the same way, especially once Avery Brooks got the uh, mustache and goatee. Uh-huh. That's when Deep Space Nine really took off. And it looks like Discovery's kind of doing the same thing. You know, seasons one and two, yeah, you know, kind of got their footing, a lot of misses. But this new one where they're now in the future, it's like they've got a whole new slate where they can do pretty much whatever they want. I like this third season a lot more than I like seasons one and two. Season one took a lot for me to get into. Yeah. Because there was a lot, of, as I say, chop and change. Yeah. Too much, to be honest. And I still think Discovery's a funky-looking ship. I don't know that I like it. I do like the Spore Drive, though. The Spore Drive is cool. I understand why people are like, wait a minute, this new ridiculously fast drive. Why wouldn't we have known about this in other series? Well, because Discovery is kind of really super secret. Mm. So, no, you wouldn't have known about this in other Star Trek. Hence why when they tried to get back in touch with the Federation, they didn't actually know who they were. Yeah. It's like, what is this ship? It's not in any of our archives. It's a cover-up, clearly. You know, it's a ploy to try to explain it, but uh, I'm fine with it. The other part of that was when they were in the, the current time, as it were... I was thinking, well, the Discovery seems to be too advanced to be with any of the other starships that are around at that time. So for it to disappear into the future, where most of the technology on board Discovery is actually really quite backwards, right? <laughs> apart from the spore drive, it works. Yeah, it does, it does. Especially in the last few episodes. It's like, okay, well, the software's been upgraded now. Ugh. And it's been a problem, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, we have a great reason to restart and go back to the old software like it used to be. Mm -hmm. And it saves the day. Of course. (laughs) That was cool. Uh, One thing I did get a little bit emotional about was when Burnham was finding out what her brother had actually done in history. And they showed a little clip of Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. And I was like, oh... Somebody's cutting onions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know, what can you do? Life goes on. Mm-hmm. Some of the, the new characters they brought in, I like Booker, I like him. Not just because he's British, but it is, <laughs> he's a great character, and uh, he'll be a good asset to the crew, I think. And now they've got the the guy that was from the chain the the guy in the i suppose you can call it like a wheelchair the um, the engineer guy that was deceived into thinking that what uh what was her name <sighs> the baddie at the end yeah i can see her i can't remember the name well i'm gonna say she's green um <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> He was deceived by her because he thought that she was doing everything for the right reasons and then he found out what she was really doing. And I think he'll be quite a good asset to the crew because he's a lot like uh, Stamets in in the way that he thinks. Now, I I will say this. They explained the burn where dilithium was destroyed in a lot of ships and and it destroyed a lot of ships from doing that. Uh, Is it me or does that feel weak? And the way they were dealing with it to try and stop the second burn because the guy was getting scared. I don't know. It was very long drawn out that bit, I thought. A kid gets upset and that, I don't know. Something about that just doesn't jive with me. There was a lot of going backwards and forwards with the Red Angel thing. Yeah. I just, 
don't know that I fully buy the burn. Yeah. Um, all in all, I, I enjoyed it. As I say, the first season took a bit of getting into. After that, the characters were gelling quite well. Yeah. But now they're having to rebuild the Federation again. All the potential now is fantastic. I love it. Strange. New. Worlds. You asked. We listened. It's happening. Wow, I'm so glad I finally get to share this news with you guys. Speaking just for myself, I have never received more love from a fan base than I have from the Star Trek family. Without you, this wouldn't be happening. So thank you so much. I can't wait to put on that gold Starfleet uniform and deliver number one right along Captain Pike and Spock. It is a huge honor. And it means even more for us to be able to announce this right now at a time when so much of the planet is hurting. The ethos of Star Trek is so curious and welcoming and unifying. And we're going to get to work on a classic Star Trek show that deals with optimism and the future. Here we go. I can't wait. And I guess there's only one more thing to say. Hit it. So that was The Crew. Eventually been able to talk about the new series, which is a spin-off from Star Trek Discovery. But it looks like this is going to be their attempt to bring the original Star Trek series into... I don't want to say a new generation. That sounds a bit awkward. But you know what I'm saying, because the next generation was more like Shakespeare in space. That's the way it felt to me. Some of it was. <laughs> yeah. But, but it sounds like they're going to try to make this one more like the original. Mm-hmm which I'm totally on board with as long as we don't have space hippies. <laughs> Please don't redo that episode. <laughs> that was a bad episode. <laughs> there were a few dodgy episodes, I must admit. Yeah, there were. But it's the 60s. Yeah, oh, I know, I know, I know. And this will probably translate those stories into a more fast-paced for a modern audience. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. It doesn't have to. It's too bad that DC Fontana's not around anymore. Actually, a, a lot of the original Star Trek writers aren't around, because I'd love to have them take another crack at it. Because I noticed that Jonathan Frakes was doing a lot of the direction of Discovery, and I wonder if he's going to get involved with this. I wouldn't be surprised. A couple more shows are in development. They include a Section 31 spin-off that will obviously have Michelle Yeoh in it and reprising her character. There's a CG kids show for Nickelodeon. Mm -hmm. uh, this hasn't got a name on it yet. Yeah, it does. Prodigy. Star Trek Prodigy. All right. Okay. So we've also got the new series of Picard due to start shooting when COVID-19 restrictions lift. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, in fairness, though, post-production can be done anywhere in the world. I mean, they could bring Weta on board, which is in New Zealand, and they don't have a COVID problem. Hmm. Alex Kurtzman, who is one of the creators of the show, told The Hollywood Reporter back in 2019 that... The intention is to have something Star Trek on the air all the time, but not necessarily on top of each other. In other words, it's the best time to be a Star Trek fan since the next generation and Deep Space Nine ruled the galaxy in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> 
in fairness, it was their own damn fault because I will say this flat out, I did not like Enterprise. Did not like that series at all. I must admit I didn't because to me it was just having a poke of social stuff that was going on at the moment. You know, you've got a, a race of baddies that are, are very close to being the Taliban. Yeah, well, that, that is one thing I always loved about the original series Deep Space Nine. The next generation to a degree, the politics were written into the story. And one of the things that I didn't like about Voyager is that a lot of times it wasn't written so much into the story. It was more like, here's a brick to the face with the story wrapped around it. And that seemed to really be the case in Enterprise. Yeah. I must admit, I wasn't a big fan of Janeway anyway. Well, the, the real problem with Voyager was that the characters were meh. The only two characters who, I, who were really, really interesting were Seven of Nine and the Doc. Because you could see that you know they started from one area, and then by the end of the series, they were completely different people. They had these beautiful character arcs that you, you could see their progression throughout the series. Mm-hmm. Everyone else was just kind of like the same as the first episode. Yeah. And it's boring. It was a boring show in that regard. A couple of good ones here and there. You know, eh, not a Voyager fan, and Enterprise was... No. Obviously, a lot of people thought the same thing about Enterprise because it got canceled you know, before it should have. It had a horrible ending. And I think that soured a lot of people to, to Star Trek for a while. Great theme tune, though. Eh, you're going to have people wanting to hit you for that. <laughs> I did not mind the theme song, but I understand why a lot of people were put off by it. Because it wasn't Star Trek. It wasn't Star Trek. You know, it, it fit the theme, but it wasn't Star Trek. Mm-hmm. That is one thing that gave me a really big smile with the uh, season finale for Discovery was that the end credit music was the original, the original. series. That was yeah. so cool. Done up slightly, had a different arrangement. Yeah, a little bit, but it worked. Strange New Worlds, I think, is going to be a great show. The characters, all right, they're from the original series, but I think they've done a great job on yep. casting. Um, they've done a great job with Picard. You don't expect anything less from Patrick Stewart, to be honest. Oh, no, especially when he has direct say over a lot of what goes on. Oh, yeah. The F-bombs in that series? It was Patrick Stewart who wanted F-bombs in the show. I'm like, wow, that's not what I expected. Have you ever heard him talking when he's with someone like Saria McKellen? I have never heard a couple of people with potty mouth as much as those two. <laughs> but it's good fun, though, because you can't yeah. take offence for him because they're, they're both knights of the realm. They're, I mean, yeah, <laughs> you can't take offence. <laughs> He'll do pretty much anything. I mean, he was in that uh, he was in that emoji movie. For- <laughs> yeah, well, let's not talk about that. <laughs> let's not. No, no. You had to bring that up, didn't you? <laughs> you had to bring that up. Everything was going so well, and now that. <laughs> You're a bad man. You should feel bad. <laughs> I'm just wondering what they're going to do with future movies. I actually liked the J.J. Abrams reboot. The last movie was good. Okay, the Wrath of Khan remake, we're not going to talk about that either. As much as I love Benedict Cumberbatch, we're not going to talk about the Wrath of Khan remake. But, you know, one and three were good. But now, you know, Anton Yelchin is dead. Well, and everybody else is popular now. You know, Chris Pine, Chris Hemsworth. You know, everybody's doing their own thing, yeah. So I'm just curious if they're going to do anything now with movies. I mean, they, they're going to have to, I would think. They can't rely on CBS or whatever it's going to be now. Uh, what are they calling it? Paramount Plus? Is that what it's going to be now? I think it's something like that, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Because, you see, we don't have that here. 
Is it on Netflix over there? Netflix for most of them. Actually, Lower Decks is on Amazon. So That's weird. I guess that just comes down to uh, who's willing to pay more for the license. Yeah. Everything seems to go through Netflix and Amazon here, which is not a bad thing because no. there's too many of these things popping up all over the place now. Yes. Yes, there are. I don't know if if you guys have the well, well that's I mean it's good for you guys because if you ever, if everything's going through Amazon and Netflix okay you got the two of them mm-hmm. meanwhile we're stuck with oh you want this show you got to subscribe to HBO Max oh you want this show you got to subscribe to Peacock oh you want this show you got to subscribe to Paramount Plus oh you want this show you got to subscribe to Disney Plus oh you want this show you got to subscribe to Hulu what the stop I mean granted we've got Disney Plus and we've got I think you have it in the states as well Britbox yes yes we do there is such a big hoo-ha about the television license that we have in the UK. If you have a television, you have to pay the BBC every year to have a television. What's that fee up to now, anyway? About £150 a year. Just for the privilege of owning a TV? Yeah, and just so that you can have the BBC without commercials and all the other things that the BBC does. Because ITV, Channel 4, the rest of them, they're all, they've all got commercial breaks. Right. The BBC never has never had commercial breaks, but I wouldn't mind having commercial breaks on the BBC if they were to get rid of the licence. Yeah. I mean, the BritBox is partly BBC anyway, so, you know, you might as well go down a subscription service or something, pay, pay for what you watch kind of thing. And they could do that easily with the iPad. Oh, you don't have to subscribe for that. Uh, No, but it's really weird. When you first set it up, you have to um, log into it, so you have to have an account with them to do it. And the first thing it asks you to to continue, do you have a TV license? Yeah. Yes. You're not going to say no. Yeah, I guess BritBox is our iPlayer. BritBox has a lot more on it than iPlayer does. Well, it's a combination of BBC and ITV. Yeah. I think there's a few Channel 4 things on there as well. But on iPlayer now, there's a lot of American TV shows that weren't on there before, but they're putting out more content because people are in lockdown. Right. So they're they're playing old shows like the new version of Battlestar Galactica. The the entire series is on iPlayer. Right. And that's a big chunk of... I guess that's no different than, you know, uh, the next generation being a cash cow for BBC America over here. Ah, yeah. Which is mind-blowing, but whatever, if it makes some money and it allows people to watch it, well, okay, fine. When I was in the States, uh, I was watching uh, BBC America. There's ITV shows yeah. on BBC America. Yeah. <laughs> Spanhead Productions are a small, independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.weebly.com. That's spanheadproductions.weebly.com. So, John. Yes, sir. It's great to have you back on the show again. Uh, It's great to do another show, because they have been a little bit few and far between, but it has been a bit difficult for both of us to... Yeah, life interferes. So, I think next time we'll we'll be back to another space-related episode. There's certainly enough to talk about there. There is loads going on at the moment. What with Starship and all that kind of stuff. 
Uh, hopefully Starship 9 will have landed by the time we talk because mm-hmm. as, as we mentioned in the last podcast it very nearly made it last time yeah but they know what, what went wrong. That's mm-hmm. the great thing about it. It's it's all a test and they're learning all the time. Every time they, they launch anything into space, they're always learning from it. Maybe we'll actually get a successful SLS rocket uh, engine test. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Your size said it all. Hopefully this year also we're, we're going to get James Webb in the air. Yeah, that'd be uh, nice. It is scheduled for this year, so we'll just have to wait and see what goes on. There's a TV show which you can get in the States if you go on YouTube. You can't get it on YouTube if you live in the UK, called Spitting Image. Which, oh, I know that one, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they, they've, remade, they've remade Spitting Image for a new audience, which... If we want to watch Spitting Image in the UK, you have to watch it through Brickbox. But if you're in the States, you can watch it on YouTube. Ah, hints of Eurovision. (laughs) And you've got the usual suspects that you would expect to be taking the mickey out of. Yes. Uh, People in charge of countries, let's just say that. Yeah. But they've also got a puppet of Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, they end up going up into space and ending up on Mars in a rocket that looked remarkably like something phallic. Yeah, it was quite amusing. <laughs> but nice. it, it was all about Elon Musk's dreams, that he's had these dreams that saying, we must go to Mars, we must go to Mars. And the three of them are stuck on Mars arguing with each other, which is really funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could see that one. Speaking of uh, Richard Branson, how about that Virgin launch yesterday? Yeah, the Virgin Orbit. They're saying that hopefully you'll be able to launch these things from pretty much any airport. Well, as long as, yeah. it, as, long as it's got a, a long enough runway for a 747. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, there's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a special runway lined up for it so they can start launching from Cornwall. Oh, wow. Spaceport Cornwall. Okay. And the UK Space Agency are working with Rolls-Royce to develop uh, a nuclear-powered spacecraft to get to Mars in three months. That's interesting. Hmm. Are they talking manned or... Un- Sorry, uh, they don't like that phrase being used anymore. Um, crude. Crude, that's the word. <laughs> I, I get it, I get it. I'm not sure at the moment. I, I think that's where they're heading but it probably won't be the first few times that they try it. But um, it's been a long while since since Rolls-Royce have been involved in space-related stuff. It was like yeah. the 70s, I think, the last time they were involved in space-related things. But Rolls-Royce have been in aviation for... Oh, God, yeah. For ages. Yeah, for a long time. I mean, the Rolls-Royce Merlin engines were in the Spitfires during yep. um, the Second World War. But there's something I need to research into, and I'm going to. Somewhere I have a PDF of the pattern for, or the patent, for... (laughs) Tomato, tomato. A spacecraft that was developed by British Rail. What? (laughs) I kid you not. British Rail were developing a spacecraft... I'm not saying whether that's good or bad, but why? <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. This patent, I think it ran out in 1975, but it's probably still on record somewhere. Yeah, here the craft was to be powered by fusion, using laser beams to produce pulses of nuclear energy in a generator in the center of the craft. 
What the heck? <laughs> this interests yeah. me so much. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so the passengers would have been directly above a fusion reactor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the entire vehicle would be piloted in such a way that the acceleration and deceleration of the craft would have simulated gravity in zero gravity conditions. What were they smoking when they came up with this? I granted it was the early 70s, so... You know, the drugs from the 60s were still there, but... What the hell? Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> I just couldn't no. believe it when I saw it, and I thought, this can't be real. And I looked it up in uh, the patent office in the UK, the London patent yeah. office, and it's there. And you, you were close. It says that it lapsed in 76 due to non-payment of renewal fees. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I knew it was around why. that sort of time. So, yeah, 75. I mean, well, it wasn't far wow. out. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> oh, I like this when the patent was discovered in 2006, rediscovered, it gained widespread publicity in the British press. A group of nuclear scientists examined the designs and declared them to be unworkable, expensive, and very inefficient. You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd, I'd like to find out more about the guy who designed this. Charles Osmond Frederick. That's the guy's name. Let's see what else he came up with. That's crazy. But there is a lot going on, so we need to talk a little bit about stuff. And uh, it just leaves me to say the usual thing that we always say about this time, and that's stay safe, everyone. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Toodles, I say, toodles. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event. <laughs>